Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. I went everybody's head about the bird. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Ryan J. Rowan. With me today, we have Rob and Barr. Hello. Hello. And a special guest here today to help us talk about the boy and the heron. It's Steph Watts. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's quite late in the UK, so got my big cup of tea. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it is You're a trooper. early for <laughs> us to record, but it is pitch black outside. So Yeah. <laughs> we're all we're all off our balance today uh steph would you like to introduce yourself to our audience tell them a little bit about yourself uh yeah so i'm steph um conveniently i produce a podcast all about studio ghibli and animation um it's called ghibliotech um we've just been recording a couple of episodes about the boy and the heron so kind of in that headspace ready to go um but yeah that's that's kind of me i do a little bit of um a little bit of writing here and there, um, and then a bit of kind of uh, Ghibli and anime themed embroidery as well. Oh um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, your embroidery is amazing. Like, oh, thank you. I saw I was the one so... that's pinned wow. on your uh, Twitter profile, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yes, yeah, that's it's, the um, it's hardcore. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the cover for Little White Lies magazine. Um, a couple of years ago was Kelly Reichardt's first cow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they um, we kind of did a little uh, collaboration where I embroidered the whole cover. Um, it took me about a month of just day-to-day just embroidering. Luckily, I was just inside for most of the time because it was still kind of during lockdown right, time. Say, well, so I didn't was, really have anything better to do cow, with my time. Yeah, then the <laughs> pandemic was happening, so yeah, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, and I chose to just sit in front of the telly and make little stitches every day for about a month but um yeah that's yeah probably the biggest thing i've done everything else is quite small um, and you do the drawings yeah. yourself as well like it's all original yeah well so for or the first patterns cow, yeah for for the first cow one um i worked with the um the illustrating designer who kind of heads up little white lies mag um nice. all the other ones i just kind of yeah draw myself and yeah yeah that's a whole other talent can't comprehend. <laughs> I uh even my friends who like knit and stuff I'm like well this is witchcraft like this shouldn't like how is this staying together so any like thread based art I'm completely blown away by my distillery um is hosting in January a rug tufting workshop oh and I've done I'm, that I am super excited because it looks awesome and it involves like using a gun to to put the oh wait that's not in. That must be different from what I've done. I've I've done rug latching. But yeah, it's not like the hook and latch thing. It's like, or oh. if it is, it is like in an industrial scale. It's gotcha. Um, anyway, it looks it looks awesome, and I'm excited to uh, do that. But yeah, anyway, that sounds so amazing. I, there will be pictures that. and videos. So <laughs> yeah, follow me on social media or follow uh, my distillery Schmidt Spirits, and you will see it. You guys um, do like the most eclectic stuff. Like, oh yeah, we'll like a black box. We'll do, we'll do whatever. I mean, we got a giant industrial space, so we're we're talking with people about maybe doing a cooking class in there. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I just have to figure out a way to do movie stuff in there, but it's hard because, like, you know, copyright laws. <laughs> Can't just screen a movie. But anyway, uh, it is a pleasure to have you here, Steph. We're super excited. Uh, I am envious that you have apparently multiple episodes over which you were able to talk about The Boy and the Heron, whereas we are stuck trying to fit it into this one seven-hour podcast. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll see we'll see how much we can get done because uh, there is this is a dense movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. It is absolutely massive. I mean, yeah, we've done. A spoiler-free episode, and then we just did like a spoiler-heavy episode. And I still don't feel like I'm done talking about it. It's <laughs> oh, just good. <laughs> we I'm got already, you at the right time. I am yes. already stressed out. Just be like, oh my god, there's so much to talk about. But before we talk about that, <laughs> before we get into that, let us remember uh, that you can find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook the Film State Show. You can email us podcast at filmstage.com. You can become patrons by going to patreon.com/slash the Film Stage Show. Uh, where you can get access to our Slack channel so you can talk to us in person about stuff. Award season's happening. Everyone's got opinions. There's lots happening there. What else? We are brought to you by Mubi, uh, which is a curated streaming service that is bringing you some of the best cinema from around the globe. Uh, from iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime anywhere uh speaking of awards stuff passages is still on movie this was a movie release and um i have yet to see this robin you've seen this now right you know it's like one of the very last movies that i have to see for this year that i haven't yet there's a there's maybe a half a dozen that i gotta get to shocking because you were like really pushing us to talk about this movie were you not well yeah before we went on hiatus And then uh, it was like, all right, I have time now. <laughs> the movie summary for this happen. movie. Three lovers spin in a vortex of pent-up desire and resentment. And Iris Axe is fresh, honest, and acerbically funny take on messy modern relationships. Just like its dynamic leads, this refreshingly fluid relationship drama simply oozes sex appeal. I like the cast a lot. I do I want to see it. it. Yeah, great cast. I don't love oozes sex appeal as a statement. That sounds gross. <laughs> What, what it, it makes it sound less appeal. sexy than it is because it's definitely like a very sexy film. Just seeps mm. out of it. Oozing is not a sexy verb, you know? <laughs> anyway. Depends Maybe on like the context. Dripping, <laughs> dripping is slightly better. I don't know. I just read a book with a lot of sex scenes in it, and um none of them were sexy. <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think I don't think sex is something that translates to the written word particularly well. I think like the emotions and feelings of sex can be put across. But the second that you try to like verbally describe sex, it just gets too anatomical. Have you not read a romance novel? Who are you talking to, Robin? Like, (laughs) I don't know. You have broad tastes and you're not. I do, but that's one of the. So, like, I had had a friend in college who was, like, really into, like, fairy smut, which is, like, all the rage now. But she was, like, cutting edge, man, because this Mm -hmm. was, like, 15 years ago. And she, now like, it's mainstream. Yeah, she was like, oh, this is about like, you know, Veronica Nightfire, who's like half fae and like she's got like a like angry guard, but also like an evil fairy and like a vampire and they're all having sex all the time. And I was like, how embarrassing that you would talk about that. And now I'm just shocked that she's not on TikTok <laughs> with two million followers and a book deal. Um, <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, Steph, we warned you Speaking that there were tangents on Speaking of fairies this. and magic. <laughs> well, before we end up with the movie thing, I want to talk about a collection that they have out now. Uh, it's Olivia Asias uh, Spotlight. And this guy rules. So uh, personal shoppers up there. Clouds of Sils Maria is there as well, as well as Something in the Air, which uh, I think maybe controversially might be my favorite. Apparently not among this crowd. But anyway. I think I've only seen personal shoppers. (laughs) Wow. All right. So (laughs) everyone here is representing at least one of these movies. And then another movie called Nonfiction is also up there. So if you would like to check out all of these great films that are currently streaming on Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial subscription. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is that. Um, so yeah, as uh, as Robin was saying, speaking of uh, fairies and magic and shit, uh, we can now talk about... <laughs> that's a really reductive way to put it. We can now yeah, talk fairy. about <laughs> The Boy and the Heron, the newest film from writer-director Hayao Miyazaki, um, who I am very acquainted with because I have a seven-year-old daughter who is addicted to my neighbor Totoro, in addition <laughs> to all the other great films that he has created. Oh, so she has ventured beyond Totoro. Yes, so we've watched Kiki's Delivery Service, My Neighbor Totoro. The best. There's another one that I, I we have not watched Spirit Away. I am. Um, I was trying to. It's figure a little out mature was, for seven. Yes, and I was trying to when I when I was like, oh, we're doing a Hayao Miyazaki film. I should take her to go see it. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, it's PG thirteen. Shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I like, didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's because you don't have a seven year old. You go. About. That's true. I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> and there was still a part of me where I was like, you know, you know, like kids are soft nowadays, but like she has watched <laughs> Land Before Time. I feel like Land Before Time would definitely get like a harsh rating nowadays. I was like, maybe I could take her to see his movie. It would anyway. not be PG 13. I don't know, man. No. They show his mom getting ripped <laughs> apart. But anyway, um, I'm glad I didn't take her to see this because I would not have been able to answer any of the questions that she had. <laughs> so we are here to talk about The Boy and the Heron. It is out in theaters now. Um, I'm not going to run down the cast list because I actually want to talk about uh, the cast that we saw it with when we start talking about it. But before we do that, here is just a smidgen of the trailer. Mahito. So, you made it. Mother. Have a seat. It's this way, Mahito. A lot of strange things happen in this place. I just hope he stays safe. All right. That is part of the trailer for the English language dub of The Boy and the Heron. Again, this movie is out in theaters now. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. This thing won the weekend, right? Here in in America? Yes. Yeah, I think it got around 12 million. That is incredible. First of all, it's incredible that 12 million won the weekend. But second of all, it's (laughs) it's also just incredible that the boy in the heron came out on top uh, when all the other stuff that was out was out as well. And I do not say that in a bad way. Um, brackets. Steph, did you both what? see it? Did you both see it on opening weekend? I did. I saw it as a screener. Boom. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Steph, do you know how the film did in the UK? Well, it's not actually out in the UK ah. yet. It's out on Boxing Day. So I oh, managed to okay. see it at... So it played at London Film Festival... Um, I think that was the 
first kind of big screening of it in the UK. They did a couple of screenings over the weeks that LFF was on. Um, and it's been kind of slowly some kind of screenings here or there um, for press. Um, but no English dub yet here. Only the the Japanese with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's like so much to come in the UK in terms of like how audiences respond to it how the dub does here like whether that is kind of like bigger or not um yeah so it's quite interesting it's interesting to kind of feel the the excitement for it here um but yeah i'm interested like how kind of opening weekend was and how it was seeing it in the cinema like with a crowd for for you guys i know robin you said you saw it on a screener but i saw it as a screener and i saw the japanese version so i haven't Mm -hmm. seen the dub Uh, okay so i i uh, the only once again, as part of the every week's favorite segment, which is Brian Rohn explains how he got to see the movie. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, if I take my daughter to see it, I can go to one of the earlier English language dubs because I was really impressed with the cast and I've heard mm. good things about it and like how intense the process was for creating it. And then again, realize it's PG-13, not doable. So uh, I had to go to one of the later ones and I, it's like they split it so that all the later ones were Japanese language, which is like, I guess makes mm-hmm. sense if you're trying to get kids in. But again, it's PG-13. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, I uh, I saw it. I think it makes original. total sense. Yeah, I, it there, it makes sense to an extent. And so I accepted it. And um, I mean, I loved it. I didn't have a problem with it. I look forward to seeing the dub at some point someday because uh robert pattinson's performance seems crazy and unhinged and i'm very excited to learn more about it <laughs> but yeah so this movie did 12 million nine hundred seventy-two thousand six hundred eighty-three dollars here in the united states uh came out number one um second was the, the ballad of songbirds and snakes the new hunger games movie uh number three was godzilla minus one which i've heard is great i've heard wonderful also not things here. about that Out i'm here, excited yeah. to see that at some point as well uh, Trolls band together, and then uh, the Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. What an eclectic bunch! Yeah. Word of the day. <laughs> and then Wish was uh, dragging up at number six. <laughs> Wish. Wish, which no one remembers, actually came out. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of TikTok, TikTok has still not stopped dragging that movie. It's kind of, it's like gotten to the point where it's like sad. Or it just feels mean. But we're not here to talk about failed animated uh, films that are supposed to sum up an entire uh, dynasty. We're here to talk about a super successful one. It's The Boy and Heron. Um, the original uh, title for this movie was How Do You Live? Can't, can't figure why they would have changed that. And this is a movie that I would say defies easy explanation, but I will give you a quick little rundown. It's about a boy who is still uh, dealing with grief uh, following the death of his mother, who has moved into the country where his father is about to remarry his aunt. And um, he is... His pregnant aunt. (laughs) Yes. And he is beset by a heron who is uh, enigmatic and leads him on an adventure that is uh, defies explanation that is easy. This movie is going to be so fun to talk about, and I'm excited that we have someone here who is up to the task. So, Steph, would you like to walk us through your basic overall spoiler-free thoughts before we start getting real nuts with it? Yeah, 100%. So um, this is actually the first 
um, Studio Ghibli film that I have seen kind of on release. Um, I never saw The Wind Rises or Princess Kaguya, the kind of last two features from Miyazaki and Takahata before he sadly passed away. Um, I did not see Earwig and the Witch, the kind of strange CG animated um, film that they made in between. Earwig um, and the Witch? Yep. Which... A fantastic movie that I'm the only person who ever liked. Yeah, wow, which is funny. Okay. Literally just last I'm week. I'm literally the only Robin one was who like, liked this movie. I'm the only person on earth who likes this movie. <laughs> Every now and again, once in a blue moon, I will come across somebody who's like, Earwig and the Witch was amazing four stars and i'm like it's a a fucking weird movie but it's i liked it i grokked that movie wow okay so we've got an earwig fan um yeah did not see that in the cinema but i did watch it and was quite baffled by it um (laughs) so yeah i was like super excited for this quite kind of i guess anxious i mean like miyazaki's been working on it for such a long time we obviously weren't sure who was going to finish it mm-hmm. um it was a real like racing against time just like yeah on, man, and live <laughs> at one point he was making like three minutes of animation a month or something on it like it was so slow so mm-hmm. yeah it's very, very George R. R. martin of him yes just like taking his sweet time like i'll finish when i finish um but yeah so it was kind of like full of apprehension going in i guess um i mean the trailer doesn't really like give much away um but i think it is yeah as you said it's it's huge it's like really frustrating at times it's absolutely baffling um just kind of like initial feelings like when i first walked out of it was just like what was that like that was so beyond like my comprehension of what I thought this was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like overall, like immediate likes was like just the style of animation, like watching this, these amazing kind of like human movements and also all of these creatures that we see that are like, some of them are like weird anthropomorphic birds. Some of them are just completely made up blobs with legs. Like <laughs> only that can come from Studio Ghibli, like these kind of characters that you would never even dream up just coming to life and walking around on screen no one in a way does... that only they can animate. Yeah, no one does a charming shape creature like Studio Ghibli. It's just <laughs> incredible. Exactly. Um, but yeah, just overall, like I feel like you're you're very aware that you're watching like a masterpiece, but I think it just it takes a lot of thought and maybe a couple of watches to like understand why and to get there. I don't know if that's like just my thoughts or if you guys felt the same. Well, let's find out. Robin Barr, what did you think? <laughs> I have a feeling I'm gonna probably probably be the least enamored person with this movie. Oh, you um, absolute monster. <laughs> And I say that as somebody who did like it and waffled at times between feeling like this is solid and this is great. And I think I've, I've settled on this was, this was strongly solid. Um, I, my, my critique of the movie is that it takes a very long time to get to where it's going. And in a way that you, that doesn't feel like it's building up tension. It feels like, um, like we're just kind of moving through the story without really getting to the story. And so that, that was the pacing was a bit of a struggle for me. And then when we finally sort of hit the, 
you know, the hero's arc thing that we're supposed to be doing, uh, it the elements feel a little bit over jumbled. And I will agree with you, Steph, that there's, um, you know, some things feel a bit obfuscated and that's fine. Like not every movie needs to be explained. Um, but I started to get a little bit lost whenever it started to explain things. And I would say that overall, like, the way it sort of pieced together didn't quite gel fully for me, although I did like the movie quite a bit. Um, but it was more like very specific scenes will stick with me as opposed to, you know, the picture as a whole or, or what it's giving me as a whole. I think, yeah, it is. It's not like, the most pleasant like cozy cozy vibes ghibli film to watch like and i think it is it is like drawing something out of you that's not just like oh i'm watching a film and i'm enjoying it it's like drawing out these feelings of like being really frustrated about being dragged along on this adventure and not really understanding where you're going um i think it puts you in the shoes of the main boy Mahito like really well in that sense just because mm. for the the whole kind of middle third of the movie he is just being dragged along in these kind of episodic weird situations but nobody's really explaining to him what's going on and then as a viewer you're like well I don't know what's going on because the main character doesn't know what's going on like what's happening <laughs> but um... and, and I don't mind that it just felt a little bit overstuffed in a way mm. where it was like oh there's so many quirkinesses happening that I'm just like feeling a little itchy. Wait, I, hold on. So okay. I will say before <laughs> you get into done. it, <laughs> no, no, I have one more thing to add, which is I had my, um, my local critics group, the Boston society of film critics uh, met on Sunday to talk about our awards. And we, we issued those awards and typically um, you are allowed like kind of one thing to stump for um, as part of our process. And Somebody was like, instead of stumping for a particular movie, I'm. He was like, I just want everybody to not vote for the boy and the heron. Like there, he was like, there are so many other better animated films this year, and this is, is like drunk? lesser. What is who? What was yeah. he? And he's like, and he was like less. Well, there, I did. Oh, uh, was like he a other Spider Verse No, he was not. He's <laughs> okay, not. He's an I was older about gentleman. To say, if he was, you need to throw him off a clock tower. Well, or, okay, I will say that I much preferred the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film to this one, but it's it's apples and oranges. I mean, just because they're both animated doesn't mean that they're uh, exactly comparable. But if I had if I had to say, oh, I liked this animated movie over one or the other, I would choose the Turtles. Um, and I'm not a turtle bro. So it was just really funny. If you were a turtle like, bro, I feel like you would have immediately not liked that movie because apparently there was a lot of like standard you they've ruined like retconning or something yeah ah who gives a shit um <laughs> but it was just really funny to me because he just kept going like oh it, it is lesser miyazaki and and i couldn't wow. disagree like i just kind of felt like yeah like i yeah i've I mean, seen him do a lot better not to be hyperbolic and that's okay like, what a fucking moron like <laughs> yeah <laughs> um not you robin the guy whoever this guy was <laughs> i hope he listens to this um that's interesting. I just can't imagine like 
that's like a walking Twitter take. Like that's I don't feel like that should have been like allowed in a critics circle to just actively campaign against something. Oh, I, I've never seen it before. I did find it very funny, frankly. And like about this movie. <laughs> I know. I just I loved that. <laughs> like like. Like you got through an, an award season where Green Book was on the docket and no one said that. Like that was before my time. Oh my god, I'm very confused. Nice um, yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, uh, I think this movie's a masterpiece. Um, this is incredible. I I've like not stopped thinking about this movie since I saw it uh, low those many days ago. Um, it's I I was actually super pissed. Because these uh, recordings usually happen on like a Sunday or a Monday. And I saw this on a Saturday. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so excited to talk about this tomorrow. And then I was like, oh, no, we're not doing it. It's not happening on Sunday. It's on Monday. And then I was like, oh, shit, it's on Tuesday. I like was mad because I don't know anyone else who has seen this that I could talk to it about. So anyway, very happy to be here. I agree this movie is overstuffed. But I would say it's like if you have a cheesesteak that's overstuffed where – like you eat the sandwich and that's a very filling experience. Then you look down on the plate and you're like, oh, look at all this stuff that fell out. And now I can eat it with a fork. And it like, isn't maybe cohesive? I've never had one. What? What? You are telling me so many things that are driving me nuts right now. Uh, outside, of a, outside of a hamburger, beef and cheese doesn't really appeal to me that much. I love a hamburger, but or a cheeseburger rather. Okay. But I just feel like beef and cheese are weird together. Okay. What do I even do with this now? <laughs> How do we move forward from it's this? It's like hurting you. It's fun. <laughs> this like, is like Studio Ghibli's like beefiest, cheesiest movie. Yeah, yes. that is 100% <laughs> correct. Can that be on the like, DVD quote? <laughs> <laughs> the beefiest, cheesiest Studio Ghibli movie ever. Um, okay, what was I going to say? So this movie's great. Um, I, 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 I like, so from like the first moments that it starts i'm enraptured and i'm just so overwhelmed with like the the burning ash floating in the air and then when this kid is running how the world distorts around him and it's like oh is that his perception through his panic or is this like almost like a heat blur or is it both are they the same thing and even just in that in the way my brain starts working in that way i'm like oh this movie's gonna overload me (laughs) in a great way and you go for so long and you think you have a handle on what this movie is. And then suddenly they're like, it just changes. And it's so completely different. And I'm like at a loss as to what's going on. And there was a moment that a lot of times when a movie does that, I will just lose interest. Because it just feels like nothing matters. And I don't like if I don't know what the stakes are, if I don't know what the rules are, it's very hard to get involved. And in this movie, I think they did such a good job with the characters and setting this kid up and really like building the emotional reality of what he's going through that I was just on board and everything that was happening was so bizarre, but felt so standard to the world that they had built that it was very easy Mm -hmm. to stay in touch and like keep grounded. And every new crazy twisting like piece of data that I got about this world just slotted right in. And I was totally happy about it. And it was incredible in terms of just being an adventure. I did like leave the movie theater and I was like, I feel like I need to go read up on like Japanese feelings regarding World War II and like the whole autobiography 
of Hayao Miyazaki. And there's so like, I just felt immediately like there was so much context that I was missing that would probably make it a much deeper, richer experience. But did it you was, not do that after the wind rises? I didn't see the wind rises actually. Uh, I know. Yes. Yeah. No, I fucked up um, in that way, but I, I was just so blown away and I was just like, there's just too much here. There's so much going on, but it's, it's incredible that even beyond that, there's still this very easily tracked and very well done, like, I won't say simple, but more basic human story that follows you, carries you through even without that. So yeah, I dug the hell out of this movie and now I'm excited to be able to talk about it and I'm looking would forward you have to seeing taken, it so many more times. <laughs> sorry, I just have so many follow-ups. Like, did, would you have taken Cora knowing what you know now? No, I'm, I am so happy that I didn't take Cora because... I just don't like I just she's a very inquisitive child. Um, a lot of what she experiences is very literal. And so I feel like some of the more crazy elements might not work. Um, I also feel like maybe they go a little too hard on the cannibalistic parakeets for her at this age. <laughs> um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, so, yeah, I think I think I'm good. Also, the movie just begins in such like a heady dark place with like this boy losing his mom which is fine you know we're we're accustomed with death we're catholic whatever um but then you know the, the way that he responds at school picking a fight and then uh hitting himself in the head with a rock and all this like there's just so much that i think in the moment she would have had a question about and i would have felt compelled to answer because she's my child and when she has questions that's what i do that i wouldn't have wanted to do that in a movie theater um, I think that this movie for her probably would be better at home where she could like turn and ask me a question. And I wouldn't be like, she ruining the movie. So yes. Does that answer? Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Literally. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, I, I thought at, like one of my first thoughts after seeing the movie was like, okay, I really liked that. Is that something that I could go and see with her as like an excuse to see it again and to go see the dub and just to like do something fun with her. And I was like, no, I don't think there's any way <laughs> like, like, I think, I mean, there are scenes in this movie that I think would be very distressing for her. And I'm fine with handling that in the house and like, you know, being with her and going through those emotions with her. But like, I don't know if I'd want to do that in a movie theater in public. No, and that makes sense. Yeah. And I think even when I saw it with like audiences the kind of moment where the boy does like hit hit himself yeah with a rock in the head like there were gasps from the completely adult audience like it's quite kind of it's quite bloody in points and oh yeah quite it's, strong like yeah it's like a veil of blood following down his mm -hmm. face and like there's just a lot of like horror like i don't i didn't want to say i don't want to say horrible there's a lot of very intense emotion in that moment that I don't think you're quite prepared yet to to experience and feel and have to reckon with in this movie. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, we know that he's tired. We know that he's sad. But that's the first time that we get this sense of, like, just the level of, of like, anger and uncertainty that he has, too. And, like, hatred. And it's it's that kind of, it's that kind of, like, turn that kind of takes the movie even further and darker which I love. Yeah, so but yeah. I think from that point, because like for the first kind of, you know, half an hour, you have this very like 
challenging and eerie, but you're in a familiar setting of like he's moved from the city out to the countryside to kind of live with his mother, aunt, his new new mum, who's also his aunt. Um, and you're in this kind of, yeah, it's like an unfamiliar world to him. He's obviously like still grieving and confused and like he's in this new place, but the actual kind of setting is like really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, you're in that kind of historical drama, like forties world that you've seen in some of the other Ghibli films, like Mine Over Totoro, when they like go out to the move out to the countryside, to to say, the countryside yeah, house like and stuff. The yeah. whole first part that you're describing is like, oh, it's Totoro, but it's with a boy. Mm. Like there, yeah. there is that kind of vibe to it. <laughs> it, you know? it was almost have... exactly the same story right it's like, like oh we gotta leave the city mommy's in the hospital she, she ain't in the hospital no more um <laughs> so yeah but it's like oh your mother was in the hospital yada 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 oh we've come to the the country like this is where we're gonna you know co- recuperate i've got a job that's gonna keep me away you're gonna be in this like crazy old house they're opening doors and windows instead of just one old lady there's like seven of them <laughs> the <best laughs> I love old ladies they are ever. incredible. That yeah, one there's... shot where they're walking, it's like um, tracking along with them as they're all walking yeah. to like go and eat. And there's just one like old lady doing this amazing walk where she kind of like swishes her hands around. It's just, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I mean, like there's a lot that's there that like, oh, I I was kind of in my head going like, all right, we'll, we'll wait for the red flag where it's like, you definitely can't bring your daughter to this. And the rock part was one of it. Um, and then there's some other stuff that happens once they go to like the other world that is distressing. But I think just generally like there's that I don't know that I'm even able to describe fully what the movie is doing and what it's trying to say to myself after only one viewing. And so her questions would just be interminable <laughs> and I would have no way to answer them. <laughs> And I think that would not be a satisfying narrative experience for her. So, yeah, I don't know. Robin, did you, you said you had so many questions. Were there any other ones that you had off the rock? No, no. I mean, I just kept at like sort of inadvertently interrupting you. And so that was my way of mea culpa, but. Gotcha. No, no, you never have to apologize for interrupting me. And you can remain silent. Sure. Good. <laughs> <laughs> You're not giving me my opening. <laughs> Set me up better. I'm very sorry. Anyway, speaking of setups, uh, does everyone feel good to just move on into spoilers? Yeah, I feel like yeah, we've set our piece. Cool. I will say uh, also the music is great. Oh, that was fast. F- fascinating. I thought it was really good. Oh, okay. Oh, I would say meant- mild brag. Um, I went to see Joe Hisaishi in concert this year. Um, he came to London um, and he did one of the pieces from The Boy and the Heron, like before anybody had really seen it or heard anything about it. He kind of got up and said, like, got this new movie. I'm going to do you a piece from it now and just sat at the piano and and played this one song. Um, and it was amazing. Brought a tear to a lot of people's eyes in the room. Um, so, yeah, hearing that like in the film was just such an amazing moment. Me. I am jealous about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So spoilers for the boy and the heron. I don't even know, man. There's so much going on. <laughs> I will say just to just to connect it back with what we were talking about. 
Um, regarding my daughter, I think that the the moment where the pelicans start eating the Wara Wara would probably be uh, mm. not awesome to sit through with a seven year old. Um, because at that point, I'm like, oh, they're like gonna go and they're gonna become what was it like oh they're gonna go become like people on earth you know and it's like oh it's like soul it's like this is the the great before and then all of a sudden the pelicans just start showing up and fucking eating them (laughs) and it was distressing i i sitting there alone in the theater i mean not alone there were a bunch of people around me but i came with no one else was like oh my god oh my god the pelicans are eating the warawara and i hate this and they need to stop (laughs) and then the fire girl shows up they're killing the unborn babies yeah and then the fire girl shows up heart. to like save them, sort of, but uh, inadvertently burns some more of them, even if she chases the pelicans <laughs> away. And I'm like, this is such That's a complicated, a <laughs> like, this is just like such a complicated moment. Like, it's a huge thing that like these people are dealing with. And like, I, again, children are smarter than we give them credit for and everything. But like, I don't want to have to sit there in the theater while I'm trying to watch a movie for the first time and explain to my daughter that sometimes there's collateral damage on stuff. And then, and then you're like, Oh, well these evil pelicans. And then you get a wounded pelican who begs for death from this boy. And they have a conversation about how the pelicans were brought there and there's no food for them. And so they have to do this. And I'm just like, like this movie just thinks about things in a way where it's almost like someone took a fairy tale and then like layered on like 17 layers of real reality and like refuses to grant any kind of easy answers or pat narratives or themes, which is to me thrilling and amazing. But once again, to a seven year old might be a little more than she's expecting. I just want to stay. I'm, I'm fine with not having all the answers. I think what I struggle with is that the movie does try to give us some answers, mm-hmm. like plot wise. And I almost would rather have less information, like all the stuff about granduncle and the power that he wields in this universe. Like it, I was getting really confused about the lore and the movie is sort of acting like we totally understand what's happening because at some point our protagonist starts to understand. And I'm still a little bit like, wait, what with the celestial asteroid tower (laughs) and like the object, like what? Yeah. They really (laughs) do drop that. Like, Oh yeah, this came from space. It's just like, what did we need that? There was something like, it reminded me of the Avengers where they're just like, oh, now we have this like MacGuffin object that if something happens to it, then bad things will happen. And I'm like, where did that come from? (laughs) I mean, the movie does nothing but continuously add things like that on top over and over and over again, which I, again, I kind of love. The way that um, Miyazaki has like storyboarded films and written them and the way that he did this one was kind of um storyboarding a little bit and then saying to animators you know go away and start drawing this and i'll just (laughs) continue working on the story and i guess i'll get to the end so he was kind of still building 
building the story as it was already being made, like behind him, that like is... laying out more track, like in Wallace and Gromit before it can like get to the end. Um, so I guess the kind of teetering tower that the grand uncle is, you know, precariously poking day in, day out could be a little bit of I was Miyazaki about to say, in that you, character. You've, you've really drawn the the weird, not quite Jenga tower thing into relief in, <laughs> in giving me that information. <laughs> Yeah, that's an insane way to go about making an animated film. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just I don't I don't like it, everything that we're saying it feels like it should be said in a negative way. Like, oh, there's a lot going on. Oh, they just keep adding these contrivances or new plot points, but there is a there is a fundamental way in which it works where it really does feel like the way that you kind of come of age and and learn more about the dynamics and the mechanisms of like life and the universe and how your easy assumptions about how things should be start to get circumvented and uh destroyed by the more wisdom that you gain uh up until the point that you come to a man who says that you've got to stack you know 13 pebbles in a certain way and you're like no nah, fuck that i'm not gonna do that yeah i do think they're kind of um the way that Mahito goes through the tower, but like just being told all of these kind of really strange rules and regulations that don't make any sense. Um, it does kind of feel like, you know, when you're growing up and you just get told these weird things like, you can't do that. You have to do this. And you're like, mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense to me. Like why on earth would I abide by that rule that like adults have clearly just made up for themselves? Like it definitely, I feel like has that element to it. Oh, yeah. It's like when you're like, oh, taxes. Right, right. Yeah. You just got to pay the government yeah. money. And it's like, oh, okay. But like they tell me how to do it. Right. And it's like, oh, no. You yeah. Yes. <laughs> Over the course of a year, hopefully you've given them enough. And it's like, well, at the end of the year, they'll tell me if it's been enough. Right. And it's like, no, you got to do that, too. <laughs> and you just are like, it does feel like everything's just been made up as it was meant along. And guess what? Like society literally was made up as it went along. All of the laws <laughs> and all of the rules have just been added on as we found new ways to hurt each other that have to be stopped in a legal sense. And then, yeah, there's it's it's incredible that there's like this dream logic to him getting shuttled around and being like, mm. you, you think you're in this world and everything makes sense. And then suddenly they're like, oh, there's the stone walls. Like, you don't want to touch them because they'll electrify you. And then in the outside world, just like, oh, right, this thing came from space. And like destroyed a lake. And you're just like, what is happening? How are we still adding lore? And you get up to the top and the lore continues. And he's like a chosen one who doesn't want it. But instead of like rejecting the call and then answering it, he like legitimately just rejects the call. And it's, it's, um, it's shocking. Like there's, there's a dream logic to it that is almost better than any other movie about dreams that I've ever seen. Just because he accepts it, everyone seems to know it, they just never said it before. And at the end of the day, most of the rules and stuff don't particularly matter because it's not the mechanics of the world that are important. It is just that he exists within it and needs to do what he needs to do to like do the one thing he wants, which is to just get his friggin' stepmother and bring her back for his father. Wait, I want to go back to one thing. Did you just compare Miyazaki to all of Homo sapiens society? Yeah. You're like, it's just like how all of humans 
created culture is just like how Miyazaki creates his movies. Yes, pretty much. And how this movie <laughs> portrays the, or, you know, uh, how this movie goes about giving us like the, the keys to its own world. Like, you know, it, it is, it's just a, it's a, it's a piling on top of one another. Robin, I feel like I can hear you <laughs> giving me shit about this with your eyes, even though I can't see them. I didn't say shit. Does that like, just, does that not feel like true to you? Or are you just like, no, I think I would it's just say a messy your argument. No, no, no. I would say your argument about the dream logic is, is pretty accurate. Um, I just saw a movie this past weekend called Dream Scenario starring Nicolas Cage. And uh, it, it is also about dreams. I mean, it's really a metaphor for cancel culture, but so much of the movie is made up of people explaining their dreams. And then you see it sort of visually play out. And it is just awful. It's an <laughs> awful experience. Um, because nobody likes it when you explain their, your dreams to them. It is, it is the most stultifying few minutes you can ever have with another person. And so a whole movie of this is, uh, pretty wretched, but that's not the experience of Miyazaki. Like when you're talking about the dream logic, it's more like he captures something kind of, uh, ineffable, right? Like the experience of having a dream yourself is much different than hearing it from another person. So, you know, I right. think he does an amazing job of, of depicting that and really showing us what a, what a dream feels like mm -hmm. while also, you know, putting a narrative to it. So I, I am totally with you on that one, but not the society one. <laughs> It's a little grand. <laughs> I mean, did you see the movie we just watched? Like, this is a grand movie. <laughs> I think it totally falls in. I will also say that, like, the dream logic, I think one of the reasons that, like, hearing a dream is less interesting than having a dream, aside from the fact that it doesn't affect you at all, is that, like, you can never really put forward in words, like, the ineffable quality of, like, what it is that made it weird. Mm -hmm. Um, like if I said to you, like I had this dream and there was this heron that was talking to me and every once in a while there was like sort of a guy's face peeking out from its mouth. <laughs> That's like, okay, the horrifying cool. nose. Right. Like, oh, okay, whatever. That sounds weird. But like in this movie, you're like, why does the bird have teeth? Like, ew, is that its tongue? Like, what is that thing coming out of it? And then you're like, is there just a man in there? Like, <laughs> It's things Troll like man. that that are just so incredible. And like you, again, like I'm not positive what's going on, but I'm in it for life because I am <laughs> right. really just sunk in on this imagery. But also it's not just about that. It's like, you know how uh, transformations happen in dreams where like you're talking to, um, you know, President Kennedy, but then it's really your husband and that just makes sense to you like right. the way that that things morph and there are elements of that when it comes to um well, like a spoiler alert his mom shows up in this movie but mm -hmm. the mother in the movie is or rather the mother that we encounter is not you know a woman in her 30s or 40s it's the child version of herself who sort of who sort of lives in another plane of reality in this tower. And so it's, it, to me, I think it really captures well that 
that sort of trans that transformation aspect. And also, I don't know if anybody else interpreted this this way, but so he encounters at some point, like the most wonderfully butch lesbian that I've ever seen in a Miyazaki movie, like this <laughs> woman who just is like takes no shit from anybody. I mean, she's not explicitly gay, but I feel like anyway, queer coded a lot and very gender essentialist of you very and she (laughs) has the same name as the as the little maid who gets sort of caught up in going into the tower with him and i was like oh is she supposed to be like that is is this woman supposed to be the younger version of or like the otherworldly version of the maid because they have the same name and then the maid is never in the actual narrative or like in the actual place that they go this uh, this otherworldly place um but then as soon as they leave it again she sort of pops out of his pocket so i think that they are the same character just sort of like different versions of each other i don't know what other people thought about that or if that even came up for you yeah i think because there's obviously some some time time stuff going on Mm-hmm. inside the tower yes. um and i think at some point the maid character kind of reveals that she knows we're getting majorly spoilery here reveals that she used to know mahito's mum when she was growing up um so they're obviously kind of connected in that way um so i yeah was kind of wondering if like the 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 tower is kind of based around the time that like Mahito's mom wants it to be maybe because she yeah the the old older maid is kind of younger when she like enters the tower and then she's obviously like old again when they pop back out but um Mm -hmm. she's yeah everything seems to be kind of centered around like the mom um character whenever he's in the tower and I feel like there's a lot of like kind of references to to motherhood image i guess like with the the little guys i think they're called worry 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 wara wara sorry yeah oh the pre-babies yeah being the like pre-baby egg things that are about to go and be children um gotta eat them fish and then obviously yeah (laughs) everybody knows protein (laughs) and then like with the kind of his aunt slash mother being being like pregnant being in the tower being in this like delivery room for a lot of the time um but yeah there's obviously like some some time stuff going on in there um but also yeah they're moving around place so much and it's this, like kind of weird fantasy world that's like layers on layers whichever floor they go up to um yeah it's it's still confusing me to be honest <laughs> I um yeah. yeah there's there's a there's a level where I just had to like give up I didn't I like it, you and again, I'm usually the type of person like Michael Snydell, who was a previous uh, co-host of this podcast, always complained about things being too neat. And I love yeah. neatness. I love I love when everything clicks together and you can perfectly trace the line. Um, and in this movie, I kind of had to get over that. And I, I was shocked mm-hmm. that it didn't take me much to do that because I was like, oh, OK, so she's the younger version of this uh, older grandma. But like. Are we going to meet all the grandmas? Nope, it's just her. She's carved all the other grandmas, though, and has them arrayed around him. 
Mm. Like, ooh, what's that mean? And also, like, even in the real world, like, where did these women come from? And, yeah, I think that some of that is just, like, it's just the the unknowable histories of everyone around you. Like, where where did mm. any of these people come from? Like, I don't know. I, I find <laughs> it interesting that they say that his, like, great-grand-uncle read too many books and went crazy. And I was like, well, yes. Yeah, that happens to the best of us. Um, And then he's still there. He's old. But, like, is he, like, 200 years old? Or is he just normal aged, but time works differently in there? Clearly it works differently in there because there's this girl who's about his age who is his mother who they say went in and then disappeared for a year and then came out again. But in there she's got, like, this firepower. I don't know. I don't know what any of that is. Um... (laughs) And like the the pelicans are like we were brought in here and we were starving we got to eat these things, and then whenever you come out you like lose these recollections, and these memories of of like what happened, and I just it's it's such a strange, not again like nonsensical dreamscape kind of scenario, so that it almost becomes beyond the point to try to make sense of it, it you just want to try to understand like how it's changed you as a person. So mm-hmm. like the, the mother as a girl saying like, I'm so excited to like go and become your mother and meet you. And mm-hmm. you know, him during the course of this calling his, his uh, aunt, his mother and, you know, really working hard to get her back and, you know, saying that he's doing it because his dad loves her and everything and like taking into consideration the feelings of this other person. I mean, like there's just, there's just so much happening that at a certain point, all of those like little one-to-one mechanical clockwork things that I'd usually be obsessed with stopped mattering as much to me. Yeah. I think like what's so, (laughs) (laughs) is yeah, it's so hard and it feels like even talking about it is you're still just in the act of unpicking it. Even if you come at it with like, here's an idea, here's a thought about what this could be. And then you just kind of, I just like end up getting unraveled again by the time I've got halfway through a sentence about it. Um, I can't even remember what point I was going to make after that. Give me a second. Um, When was I going to make? Someone else go. I'll come back to it. (laughs) I would love to hear Robin's response to me once again getting weirdly metaphysical. I mean, I think it's a weirdly metaphysical movie, um, and it's okay to not try to answer anything really about it. Um, it's so much, well, I mean, not to be like, oh, this is animation, but <laughs> it's so much more about the visuals, I think, than the uh, maybe the emotional landscape and I, I guess that's such a cop-out but don't the visuals create the emotional landscape like when when i was talking about like the fire at the beginning like the the visuals smearing is is an emotional reflection of what that kid is going through well okay all of film really is <laughs> if we're gonna go grand okay all of film is about creating emotional landscapes with images mm-hmm. um and also soundscape uh because obviously not everybody's able to to visually experience a film. Um, but I would say the power of it for me was not so much in trying to understand um, his journey or the or the 
uh, I guess like the growing up aspect because so much of this movie is really about like you know him having to learn how to how to grow up kind of accept accept fate accept um the support that he's going to be getting following the trauma of losing his mother in such a violent way uh because she dies in a fire um and it's also you know the trauma of war and I mean, there's so much that we can get into about that aspect, and I don't, I don't know if I'm knowledgeable enough to really pinpoint um, how, really pinpoint like how this is a a World War II film, um, even though I know it totally is. But anyway, that's a whole other sort of tangent. Um, so this movie is about him kind of learning how to be a man or whatever. I mean, maybe everybody has has a different interpretation, but. I think the strength of it for me was just these small moments that, and this is what he's known for. He builds in, you know, images or scenes where people are just like experiencing their surroundings that somebody is sighing. Somebody is just like, you know, uh, looking outward and and things that he doesn't really have to add because it doesn't add to the story, but it just sort of creates this like sense of peace. And I think the sort of your movie that does this is my neighbor Totoro, which is really like not a plot based movie, but really Mm -hmm. more about um, these little two girls experiencing their environment. And there's, there's just so many quiet moments that, that you really have to work hard to add to an animated movie because everything has to be so deliberate versus like, Oh, I captured that on camera. Um, and I think to me, again, that's the strength of the movie are these quiet moments of beautiful animation, as opposed to, I guess the, the themes it's building toward maybe, maybe that's where I'm just like, not as again, enamored with the movie is, is in its themes, but you know, it is, it is just striking as a piece of art. I think um, maybe just because I've been like following Studio Ghibli for a long time um, and there was a lot about kind of how this is like potentially Miyazaki's last film because he's quite old now and might not be able to make any more and like it's quite an autobiographical film, quite a personal film for him. Um, I think it's really interesting to think about it in a way of like Miyazaki looking at the legacy that he's created by making films with Studio Ghibli, by creating that studio, um, by kind of building up this like collection of work that's so tied to that studio and to him that like when he is not there anymore, like what is what is going to carry on after him? What's going to be left? Does he pass it on to somebody younger than him? Or does he just like knock the tower down, let it all crumble and let the work of Studio Ghibli kind of end with this <laughs> film? Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess you, you can kind of see it as like a, a release or you can see it as quite a narcissistic, like this work ends with me and I'm the best to ever do it. And like, there will be no more. (laughs) I think it's probably Um, less egotistical than that. (laughs) Though I don't know. I think like he's interesting because he has been like kind of 
like deified, I guess, especially by kind of like the West um, in terms of him being like, you know, he's the best anime guy of all time. Like, even though there are like so many other kind of masters of Japanese animation and like a few of them have like touched this film like and worked on it and like it's i don't know yeah it's interesting because he's not he's definitely not alone in terms of that kind of um that legacy of like masters of of japanese animation animation in general but if you're taking him as like that grand uncle figure just like alone at the top of his tower getting gradually older and waiting for somebody to come and kind of take this huge like weight off of his shoulders um yeah it becomes quite a kind of heavily thematic film but i don't think it's a a thing that you can just pick up on after like one watch or like midway through the film i think it takes like a lot of like asking other people like oh what did you think of that what the hell was that about or like yeah like yeah you about gotta be like much. okay do you think that miyazaki is the uncle is he the boy is he the heron yeah I don't know if he's yeah the heron, but <laughs> and like what is he a murderous parakeet i he could be we don't know if he's ever eaten someone <laughs> those fucking parakeets man are like just a comedic genius master stroke like and I'm also like, terrifying yeah they could they would they crowd around him and they're like oh so like did you eat my aunt and they're like no she is you know pregnant so she's not eatable but you're not pregnant eatable eatable <laughs> and then and then he gets rescued but then like he gets caught and he wakes up chained to a wall as this fucking bird is sharpening a machete and there's like a crazy amount of bones around him <laughs> and it's a like little horrible. movement he does where he's like sharpening the thing and i think he like winks at him and like licks his lips or something yeah. it's so good it's <laughs> the pregnancy thing makes no sense as an answer because i have seen enough videos on reddit that tells me that predators love eating pregnant prey yeah but these are birds i mean i don't know i don't think parakeets birds don't usually who used to be people. dinosaurs yeah, it's also true. But I mean, birds like, are fucked. What is birds delivery, are fucked. What does the delivery room have to do with anything? You know, like what is like? Why are they pissed that he went inside there? Like, you know, there's like not a lot of good excuses, <laughs> other than that. Like, yeah, like they can't eat her. She's got to still be around to get got. Or maybe it's like if you have a sow who's about to like have a, a litter Oof. of pigs. You don't like. I don't know. These are fucking murderous birds. Like, what do I know? <laughs> They're all just sows. I mean, like, I was wondering if. Oh, go on. I was going to say you wouldn't butcher a pregnant cow because then you're going to miss out on that second cow. Like, I don't know. I really have no okay. answer for you. I guess it's true if these birds were like capitalists. I was willing to accept the birds don't want to eat someone who's pregnant for whatever stupid reason. You're the one who's trying it's to make bullshit. me think it's of it. It's absolute bullshit. And now you're getting mad at the plot because the birds <laughs> it's didn't not matter. realistic to bird behavior. But apparent, okay. So I have no idea. I can't like you know. Again, we could talk about this forever. But I think that the first of all, birds speaking Japanese and living in a society where they use <laughs> knives and forks is not realistic to bird behavior. Um, <laughs> I don't know if parakeets are one of those birds that eats other living animals or not. I don't know. All animals are opportunistic carnivores. I'll take your word for it. That sounds perfect. Um, 
I'll Did never you never see the video of that horse just like picking up a baby chick like it's a nugget? No. <laughs> yeah, the horse just like bends down, like pulls the baby chick into its tongue and just like chomp. I saw the video of a Komodo dragon eating a, a kid goat hole. Yeah, that's very famous too. It's pretty fucked up. Um, wow, what are you guys watching? That's dude, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go out. Pretty so. little edit about it. <laughs> so London has like a really big parakeet problem. <laughs> is this like the plot of the next Paddington movie? What are you telling me right now? They have a parakeet Parakeets problem. in Paddington. Um, so basically, like, I don't know when this happened, but at some point, like, somebody's pet parakeets probably got loose. Okay. And now every summer, it is like there are parakeets everywhere, like in in London and like the southeast, like south of the UK. It's like That's you can step adorable. out of the tube. And you will just see like a big flock of parakeets just like waving around and chirping. So maybe I'll go out and see if they're like eating the young of other. Why are they a problem? Yeah, like why is it a problem versus like a sparrow or whatever? I think they like stop other birds from nesting. Maybe like that. There are a lot of them because Um, parakeets do eat. I think they're like parakeets are the bullies of the animal kingdom. Trying to work out if they're a nuisance or not, but they're very they're very loud and they're very pretty and green. Um, But yeah, it's just like I feel like that that shot of um, like all the the characters when they're just like covered in parakeets and they're all just like perching on their heads and shoulders and stuff. Like everywhere, every time someone is overcome by a swarm of birds in this movie, (laughs) they get shit on a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but that's yeah. that's what I'm talking about in terms of the the detailed beauty of this film. Like it's it, to me it's all in those small moments, the blink and you miss it details versus the bigger, I don't know, emotional swells. No, I I'm here for all of it. You just want to I don't know. I was going to say look for your dead mommy, but I think your mommy's alive. My mother is in fact still alive. That is correct. <laughs> I'm the one with the dead mommy. Yeah, you don't. You wouldn't want to go and find her as a child who can play with fire. Mm. <laughs> I love how you're not even I like know. no or yes. You're just like mm, I don't know. Am I doing anything I think else? Because I'm not like steeped in my grief or anything. Right. Although it'd be cool to meet your mom as a kid, but then I saw that movie, whatever that French movie was, and it was so goddamn boring. What is the Petite Maman? Yeah. The Celine Siama. Oh, that's a lovely film. Is that what that movie's about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've heard the name a billion times, but I never saw it. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of like, oh, and that was it. You played with your mom. Cool. If you liked the mom vibes in this, but want to watch like another animated version, kind of, uh, Mirai is quite good. It's about a boy who like um, his his kind of backyard kind of transforms into this time travel bit. Hmm. I'm not explaining that very well. <laughs> a time travel bit. <laughs> yeah. So it's about, a, it's about a boy who his, his baby sister is born and he's really jealous of her. Wait, uh, I saw this movie. <laughs> and she starts visiting him from the future, like as an older sister to him. And she takes him like through different times. He like meets loads of other um members of his family at different times but um yeah 
<laughs> it kind of reminded me of that a little bit, but not, yeah, not entirely. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I I just looked this up. I saw this movie. I gave it two out of four stars. So I guess oh, I didn't no. like it. Wow. <laughs> I'm savage. What you get for being an Earwig and the Witch fan. Exactly. Yeah, I'm we're just learning a, freak. a lot about you right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that reminded me of something else. Oh, have you guys seen... Oh my god, what is it called? When There Was Marnie? Is that what it was called? When, when Marnie was, was there. Yeah, Mar- when Marnie was there. <laughs> when There I Was Marnie. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it sort of makes sense if you know anything about the movie, but that's also another film about connecting with your loved ones um, who have since... I don't, I don't want to... Oh, should I give it away? So basically the movie is about this girl who like becomes best friends with this girl and like it it's almost like a little bit like the uh uh like the context or not the context the subtext is like they fall in love these two girls but then by the end of the movie you realize that like the the girl this girl like becomes friends with is actually her grandmother as a child and so that makes like the queer subtext a little weird but it's such a great movie i loved it so in terms of meeting your loved ones at other stages of their life when Marnie was there is great. I love how much trouble we're having with titles today. (laughs) (laughs) When there was Marnie. (laughs) Before they retitled this for, to the boy and the heron, which works, it was called, how do you live? Right. Mm. And I like called it everything but that I was, it was, I like once called it, why are you afraid to die? (laughs) (laughs) That's why they had to change it to the most, generic title ever but it's it's not generic in the way like 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 what's that fucking movie that you can never remember the title of that now you remember the title of the, showing the, up yes showing up not being there um you're constantly <laughs> like i don't even remember what this movie's called like at least the you boy must the hurt heron. my feelings <laughs> <laughs> you must hurt my feelings yeah, at least this movie, you're like, oh, the boy and the heron. Like, I'm not going to mistake that for yeah, another movie. Yeah, it's like movie. two nouns. We got it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it should have been called, like, the Celestial Tower or some shit. The, the Keeping of the Wara Wara. <laughs> yeah. The Magic um, Rock and the Epic Mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, you know... Uh, when Marty was earlier, there, but... by the way, is yeah. on Max right now. Um, oh, yes. Like most Ghibli films, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mirai is not. Mirai is on, uh, apparently you can rent it on Prime Video for anyone who's interested in seeing these. Thank you for looking that up. It's very generous of you. Um, I was going to say. is on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> All available and not lost. Um, yes. I was going to say. Oh, I was curious what people's favorite individual scenes were or individual sequences because I really loved when um, and I have to look up the character's name because I didn't do this last time. Uh, when Mahito goes with that woman who is the, I guess I'll just call her the 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 independent woman um, who is just sort of like uh you know has a it just tells him what to do and come to my house and here's the food and you know here's the, the wara wara is that what she is i couldn't remember i know she's sort of just Kariko, like go if that's who you're thank talking you. about that is who i was talking about okay. i couldn't look it up i coun't find it fast enough um i Literally loved every scene name. with her 
Okay. I love every scene with her because she's just sort of like doesn't give a fuck and isn't exactly warm, um, but isn't mean or anything. She's just like a a strong helper character. And I liked anything with the Wara Wara when that happened. That Mm. was um, meaningful to me. I don't know why. I just like the idea of these little bobbing over. They're just... (laughs) You know, become people unless they <laughs> exactly get unless they get eaten by a pelican. Yeah. Um, I don't know, uh, Steph. Do you know what your favorite scene is? Are you? Can you give? Um, me- <laughs> if I have like a a scene, I really love. There's one shot quite near the beginning of. Um, oh, actually, it's probably yeah the scene at the beginning where, um, Mahito gets up in the middle of the night, um because he can't sleep and he goes kind of and sits at the top of the stairs um, and watches his father come home and like talk to his stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's a really short scene, but yeah, it's just mostly focused on kind of Mahito at the top of the stairs and just the way that the like attention to detail in the way that like he's moving and sitting and like fidgeting. Um, and then eventually kind of when he realizes that they're like about to kiss he kind of like does a weird embarrassed gross like shuffle away back to his room um which just like elicited so many laughs um when i watched it with a crowd of people um i just really enjoyed that i think the the kind of the the way that like that character is at that point where like he is about to like grow up so much and like has already been through so much um but he is still this like 12 year old boy and he's like little pajamas. who's like grossed out by the thought of like two adults, like kissing. Um, I think he's just done so, so well. Like I think like the balance between this kind of absolutely mad stuff, like when we get into the tower and then all this kind of like more, not like realistic because it's still, animation and it's still kind of like heightened movement and stuff but just that like attention to the kind of like quiet daily drama that i think um miyazaki can sometimes be overlooked for um yeah just like really stuck with me that and parakeets holding knives i think (laughs) every time they hit a parakeet with an oversized bone and it made a parakeet (laughs) noise before it fainted (laughs) (laughs) i was in love with that yeah, the, the sound design in this movie is so good. I want to also oh, add... The sound design in this movie is yeah. fucking incredible. Like, it's it's so... Like, just just when he's, like, getting on that little... Um, in, like, the cab with his, with his uh, aunt, and you hear, mm-hmm. like, the springs move. It's just, like, I was, like, so blown away by the level of detail in, like, mm-hmm. every aspect of this movie. It was just... It was, like... Uh, overwhelming in a way it really like it's one of the reasons I got pulled in so hard was that it was just such a tactile experience maybe I'll like it more on second viewing I mean you're definitely enjoying the things that I enjoyed you know as we talk about this discussion in this discussion um I will say not to be such a cow or whatever but like it's a little weird that his dad fucked his aunt and got her pregnant is it I don't know. I think it's like a, a wartime thing, right? A lot of families just kind of joined yeah. up. 
Maybe I've just but read no, too many like No, but like they're not novels. even married yet. <laughs> and I know. I thought they were. Okay, so no, like, are she, they, they weren't or? they were going to get married so they... Cuz I think there's a shot of her wearing a ring when he gets she into the um, is that the engagement ring? I don't know how they do that in Japan. What do you mean? Like, do they, like, I don't know, like, it's to make it super basic. Like, in Ireland, they have the clotter ring, and, like, that can be the engagement ring and the wedding. Oh, who knows? Like, but they say at the beginning, like, she's going to be your stepmother. Like, right, but, like, is that just because they haven't, yet. like, see, met yet? Or, like, they're only just now moving in? Like, I don't know. She was already pregnant on know, the ride but, like, back. the boy was still in the city. They had to get him out there. So she's like, hey, what up? Like, I'm going to be your mom. She, like it'd be weird to be like no, I'm your mother now. They, <laughs> no, I think it was like they're not married yet. I don't know, and to me that still doesn't change anything. I think it I does think well it's very to like scandalous. I make think... him feel like it's all happening too fast, and it's like yeah. a bit weird, right? Like when you're from that perspective, and. And also, she, she has like the same face as his mom. Yeah, and exactly. Stuff. It's like, yeah, which is another thing I'd meant to bring up when we were talking about like, oh, like the 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 cool sailor lady uh, Kiriko is, you know, the older woman but younger, and you know he's meeting his mother who looks like this person, and like there's just so many layers of like, who are you really? You know, he's going to find his mother the pel or the pelican, the uh, the heron offers to him, and the first one that he meets is just a fake. Um, and then he's looking for his soon to be stepmother who looks like his mother, but he also runs into his mother, but doesn't recognize her. Cause of course, like she's young and, and it, a fire witch. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, you know, he knew that about her. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's just so much, there's so much in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I've read a lot of old novels where it's like, you know, oh, my brother died. So I married his wife because like. You know, that's what we do. Like, their family, we got to take care of them. It was literally like a part of Deadwood. Um, and then, like, yeah, it's it's in a lot of narratives. My dollhouse people did it. Like, it's what that's is, not wait. That's, don't try to skip it. What do you mean your dollhouse people did it? Yeah, like when my doll, like in my dollhouse, when the mom got cancer when she was pregnant with the last child, the aunt moved into the house. This is like and then, a game that you played with your dolls. It's not a game. It was their lives. Okay. I'm just like, so you're telling me that you had a dollhouse as a child with dolls. Yes. And yes. the narrative that you invented was the mother is pregnant and has cancer now. Yes. And How she chose not to get you? treatment so she'd give birth. Um, Like nine. Is this like an Edith Wharton novel? Wow. Like, what is happening? <laughs> is anyway, incredible. it's a very big saga. But yeah, <laughs> one of the storylines was that the aunt moved in to take care of her sister. And then when the mom died, it was like, who's going to take care of the kids? So then the aunt stayed and then she just ended up marrying the dad. Right. I mean, like these things happened. And like, you know, there's in, a, in Anna Karenina... Like it's it's almost like a joke that like uh Constantine Levin has like fallen in love with like every single one of these daughters in this house that he would like spend time with until he eventually landed on Kitty, the youngest one. It's very little women. It is very little women, yes. You can't have Joe, so you get Amy. But they're much <laughs> better Amy's matched better. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I am so team Amy, it's not even funny. Yeah, concur. I am Amy. I'm not Leslie. What was that guy's name? Lori. Lori. I'm not Lori. 
I don't know. I are, um, are in that movie. British I think I'm Papa who's come back from the war. Oh. I'm sorry, Robin. Oh, what sorry. did you say? <laughs> I was going to say, are British people very familiar with Little Women? Because it's, it's us. It's such an American institution, but we might yeah. just be like blathering. I feel like it depends if you. I I read like a shortened version of it as a kid, and then the abridged Little Women, even Little yeah, Women, <laughs> like a kids kids version. I think. Oh, like one of those pretty, illustrated yeah. classics or whatever. Yeah, I think so. But then I know a lot of people who have like never read it. But then obviously when Greta Gerwig's Little Women came out here, it had a big resurgence and people were like big into it. So yeah, it was. I read it's the definitely book in the in the public knowledge. Y'all read Anna Karenina okay. over there? <laughs> <laughs> you guys Not me personally. In England, can British people read? That is the question. <laughs> well, look, you spell color with an O U. I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> These questions. Hey, so do the Canadians. Yeah, but I mean, like, who wants to be like them? <laughs> you could be British and have a parakeet problem in the South. That would be pretty country. awesome. That, for whatever reason, that reminds me of the Mitch Hedberg joke about his apartment being infested with koala bears. What's the joke? It's just like, you know, Mitch Hedberg would just say one-liners, and so he'd be like, my apartment is infested with koala bears, and then people would laugh, and he'd say it was the cutest infestation ever. I'd turn on my lights and a bunch of koala bears would scatter. And I don't know. Like, it was all in his delivery. You know Mitch Hedberg. Um, yeah, I know that, bro. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, also that makes me think of uh, Futurama, where the owls are like pigeons. And now I'm just imagining, like, when I would work in D.C. and, like, flocks of pigeons would harass tourists with food. But it's just budgies. <laughs> parakeets just descending <laughs> on people in a multicolored cloud <sighs> anyway um i don't think i've said what my favorite scene was and i should have been thinking about it but i didn't um i think it might be the scene with the dying pelican i don't know why i think there's just uh, say really... more the the <sighs> Do you mean like uh, you don't remember the scene or you need me to like? Yeah, I don't remember the scene. It's after the Wara Wara are eaten and the Himi comes and fires off her fire. And then the rest of the Wara Wara go up into the sky to become babies. And then he like turns around and he's alone. And there's this fucking pelican who's like bleeding out and can't fly and is like, kill me. Um, oh yeah and he's like you know i can't believe you would try to eat the war war and he's like dude that's why we were brought here like this is our job there's nothing <laughs> else to eat like we're hungry you know we didn't want to be here we were pelicans in the world and we were happy and then we got brought to this fucking weird ass place mm. and you start to realize like the full artifice of this land and the way that like the real world's polluting it and he has this conversation with this pelican and then the pelican dies on its own because this kid had too many questions and couldn't finish it <laughs> off, which seems really selfish. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then if I'm ever dying and I say, please kill me, you have two questions. That's it. And then you got to do it. All right? Like, don't make me sit around in a Charlie Rose interview bleeding to death. Um, and then the Heron shows up. And the boy buries the pelican. And it was just a really, it was it was really moving how he went from like, fuck this pelican to like, I now understand. Wait, my thing. brother. <laughs> this, <laughs> I understand the full complexity of this situation. And I'm going to grant it a little bit of grace. I really liked that. 
Yeah, it was just, it was really, it was really beautiful. Like so much in this movie, it was really quite beautiful. I also love when he buries the pelican and he's on a wooden ship, but he digs into the wood, but there's earth underneath. Like that kind of weird, yeah, dream logic stuff just coming into play really perfectly. so incredible. (laughs) And then, I don't know. Like, So one of the things I do want to ask about is what do we, like... And maybe it's like too we it's like too much to ask at this point, but like what do we think of the inclusion of the parakeets and them having like a vaguely fascistic sheen and a ruler who attempts to use the bloodline of the creator of the universe to barter for like more autonomy and eventually ends up fucking everything up. Anyone got a read on that? Who who fucking knows, man? Like, <laughs> all I can say is I'm very excited to hear Dave Bautista playing the King Parakeet. I, I kind of wish I didn't know who was doing all of these things because, like, when I think back, I do have that sense of like, oh, I can't wait to hear Dave Bautista do it. Oh man, I really can't wait to hear like Willem Dafoe be that dying pelican. like there's just so I just I'm so excited to see this movie again and then I am so excited to see what all of these incredible actors do with it yeah it really is such a different experience to watch the dub versus watching the original Um, at least that's how I justify watching them so in such close conjunction with each other because you know I have rules right um I don't like to watch rewatch movies within five years, but I make an exception for uh, dubs versus original language. So maybe I'll have to see it again soon. I just watch shit if I want to watch it. So no, that's insane. I think you're you're not disciplined. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I'm a big rewatcher. I think yeah, like a lot of the time as well, dubs change so much because obviously they're trying, they're having to fit in. Yeah, like With Kiki's the delivery the mouse service. and like, yeah. yeah. That movie is so much goofier with um, <laughs> Phil Hartman mm-hmm. as um, the cat versus like <laughs> the sober helper <laughs> he is in Japanese. Oh my God. Phil Hartman makes everything better. I started. I mean, I love Phil Hartman. Radio. It's just like a different movie. I know, I know. It's. <laughs> so what's actually. I'd forgotten to say this. Like when you when you Steph were talking about like this is your first like first run <laughs> Miyazaki. Yeah. Like this is my first run Miyazaki too, but it's not the first right. one I've seen on the big screen because I was actually able to go see Totoro with my daughter um at AFI Silver where they were having a retrospective. Um and we saw the Japanese version because I misread the schedule. <laughs> But luckily, she'd seen the movie so much, she knew it was happening, so it didn't matter. Oh, okay. I was like, could she read? No, no she could not. Nope. It was like... Dude. My illiterate daughter. Yeah, but like, also, I don't know, it's more of a vibe than a narrative. But she also just had seen the movie so much that she knew what was going on, so it didn't matter. Is that a like a rare occurrence to have a kind of a rep screening of a Ghibli film? Not... In the cinema? I mean... I don't know. Uh, how it depends do you on where you rare? live, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm curious now, actually. I don't remember why they were doing it. I think it was a Ghibli, like, I think it was the entirety of, like, the studio. It wasn't Miyazaki specifically. And then I wonder, it's, like, definitely when they, when stuff is coming out, reps places will will try to do more. So I'm actually curious now, 
if any place was doing a Miyazaki retrospective and I just missed it um, because that would actually suck because I should have thought of this earlier. <laughs> yeah, we have quite a good cinema um, in London called the Prince Charles Cinema, which mm-hmm. is an amazing kind of um, old rep cinema that will will do quite a few kind of um, Studio Ghibli screenings and yeah, they seem to kind of pop up quite a lot, which is nice. I've been lucky enough to see quite a few of them on the big screen. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of new anime films are so popular here at the moment. Like the the first Slam Dunk, the kind of basketball animated movie that came out a few months ago. Um, what? That was... <laughs> Never heard of that Slam Dunk? We're, slam we're dirty dunk. Americans. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, oh it is literally the called dunk. the first Slam Dunk. <laughs> Yes, it's I thought you were movie. saying like it's a series. Oh, when the first one came out. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. So, yeah. Old, uh, is it like Ryota Space Miyagi, Jam? Who struggles? No, to it's just about basketball. Oh. Becoming a basketball star. Um, yeah. but yeah, that that yeah. So I think I think there is like an anime series. There's definitely like a the whole manga series that's been going for years and years and years. But um, yeah, the the film that came out recently. It's called the first slam dunk. So, um, if it's a if it's a long running manga series, does that mean at some point there's going to be the first slam dunk too? Maybe. <laughs> but it was quite successful here. Like they had T-O-O. some big kind of <laughs> they the had big screenings in the IMAX. Slam. Like that's like quite a big occurrence at the moment of kind of screening like anime films in this in the IMAX cinema. So uh, big and loud. It's very um strange to look at at first but once they get into like gameplay you're basically Mm -hmm. just watching like for the final kind of half hour you're just watching like a a basketball game but it's all animated in this amazing kind of half 3d style yeah it's Um, it's um it reminds me of slightly of like rotoscoping but at the same time it also sort of reminds me of um archer the (laughs) fx show about this oh the kind of yeah and that's not I like think, a slam because I like Archer, especially in the later seasons, got like really sophisticated with its animation. I don't know. There's something mm-hmm. about like the near reality, you know, like the almost photorealistic backgrounds, but the more mm-hmm. stylized people. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. This yeah. is interesting. I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely worth a watch. You don't have to have um, read any of the the manga or anything. You can just go straight into it. But I should hope not. Yeah, fun film. Not not very Studio Ghibli, not very Miyazaki vibes, but just like... <laughs> no, it does not appear to have anything similar with that. So maybe... <laughs> but it still looks good. How did you get into Ghibli? Because obviously you're, uh, you're, you know, it's part of your professional life. Mm. Um, well, the podcast um, that I produce, um, I just kind of started like producing and editing it with... Um, jake and michael are kind of co-hosts um and then i think i just thought like oh this would be really fun to get involved in because we all worked in the office together anyway um and then as they were kind of um going through the films i was just watching along um and then getting kind of really into it as well um and i didn't actually kind of join on mike until a bit later until we did some other kind of um, big anime directors like Satoshi Kon um, or Mamoru Hosoda. Um, so, yeah, just kind of like 
thought, black animation, I should watch some of these. And <laughs> yeah, luckily like they they were on TV quite a lot um, on Film 4, which is great British film channel. Um, I don't know if they're on that much anymore, but yeah, it was just like a luck of the draw thing where I decided to get into them. They were all for free on TV. So I watched them and then as an adult. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out really well for you then. It really did. It did. Yeah. I had a, I, I had a, I feel like I've seen Totoro previously, but I had a friend in college who was very big into anime and wanted me to get into it because he like knew that I loved movies and really wanted to know my opinions on them. And so like we struck a deal cause he lived in an apartment off campus and I lived in a dorm um, so he had a kitchen. And so every once in a while, I'd be like, I would love to cook myself a meal. Um, can I come over and use your kitchen? And he'd be like, yeah, but we're watching like an anime. And I was like, all right, <laughs> fucking fine, whatever. Like, let's do it. So that's why I watched. What's the what's the one? The Sea Round Space Cowboy? Uh, Cowboy Bebop. Oh, Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. And then I watched Totoro with him and a couple other ones. I think we watched most of Evangelion. And so like, yeah, right. yeah. So that's that's how I first like ran into that and then um mm. you have a child and like you gotta watch you gotta watch totoro with them at some point <laughs> have you watched ponyo yet no we have not watched ponyo. oh yeah and as someone, yeah, i was gonna <laughs> she loves luca so we should probably watch ponyo yes more sea that's my all-time favorite ghibli yeah i i enjoy ponyo i think um you were talking before Brian about how Miyazaki is this master of like cute blobs and there's no <laughs> cuter blob than Ponyo is a little fish um, yes. before she morphs into a little girl. Um, and also who doesn't love ham? Yes. All I've been dreaming about is ham. Like I'm literally the gif of her being like ham. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to go post that. <laughs> Yeah, I think gotta, uh, Noah Cyrus does the voice in the dub, and it's just really it's done very well. I got to figure <laughs> out what I'm having for dinner. Speaking of, um, <laughs> I know my tummy is rumbling. Oh no! <laughs> this is what happens when we. It's like we have not yet reached the point where we would have started to record any other night. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, what time is it where you are, Steph? Uh, it is about twenty to one. Oh, so it's definitely getting to bedtime <laughs> yes because i was gonna say like we should probably begin wrapping up because i do have a child that needs to go to bed soon um and uh yeah i mean like we could continue to talk about this forever like oh what do the blocks mean what does it mean that he takes some with him like what do we think it means that he rejects the call in the way that he does again i'd asked a question about parakeet king i don't think we got any answer to that because we just started talking about the london infestation again or something <laughs> But I, I, I don't know. I, I almost feel like it's it's a disservice to the movie to only watch it once and to try to understand it fully. Um, and so it's good that we have not really tried. We've just been kind of representing our reactions to it and how we felt about it. Have you all seen all Ghibli films? No, fuck no. I have not. What about you, Steph? I think I have only not seen Hompoko, uh, which is the one about the Tanuki. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't care for that one. <laughs> um, no, and yeah, I haven't seen Tales from Earthsea. Angry Inch or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but that was like charmingly creepy. Whereas I just, this one was, eh, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
mean, none of them are terrible. They're not like one and a half star movies. Right. Uh, You know, the lesser Ghibli's. But yeah, I think the only ones I haven't seen are the shorts at this point. What the, um, like the short films that they show at the museum or. I'm not sure, actually. I don't think I've seen Ocean Waves or Whisper of the Heart. So maybe I'm full of shit. Oh, Whisper of the Heart is really, really good. Oh, I have not seen Tales from Earthsea. Okay, uh, d- never mind me. I'm a liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these are such fucking winners. Borrow the Caterpillar? I haven't seen that. Sounds great, I though. Think that is one, yeah, because there's a, a series of short films and they're like 10 minutes long, but you can only watch them if you go to the Ghibli Museum in Japan or now mm-hmm. the the Ghibli theme park. Um, yeah, there's no other way to watch them. Easy enough, Brian. Just take Cora. <laughs> I mean, she would love that. I would love that. I've already got a friend did... trying to get me to go to Australia. So like, I'm going to be in the neighborhood. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Just pop you in. should do it. Do she's it old play. enough. She can wipe her own booty, right? I, uh, yeah. Oh my God. She's seven. She's in fucking second grade. Yes. She, I'm she's, just saying. she's old enough. Guess who? Guess, guess what? Maybe we're not rich enough, Robin. <laughs> Um, maybe I'm just saying. All right. Well, in I'll start a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or whatever to send me and my daughter to Totoro Lander, <laughs> wherever it may be. You are a single father. I am. That is correct. All right. Well, on that happy like, note, <laughs> now I've just I, God. I was about to say something, but I just remembered my ex-wife does have a sister, and I don't want to go there. So no. Um. Yeah. Do we have any final? thoughts on this movie robin you keep saying like it's not one and a half so like what would you give this out of your four star rating you psychopath i give it three out of four okay that's not bad it's my b plus but you know i could be persuaded to give it more stars if i see it again and have a different well you definitely gotta see it again for that dub which i am also yeah i totally agree if you uh if you see it again and it goes up you gotta let me know okay all right excellent all right, Steph. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, just that I love when Mahito's dad thinks he's turned into a budgie. <laughs> um, yeah, we really even about it. <laughs> like Loki like, MVP of the film. Like, um, I do like that he's like, I'm gonna go find my son. Give me a sword. Give me like this backpack. Full of stuff. I'm gonna go in there, and I'm kind of like this guy rules. And then like the friggin' birds come out and they start shrinking down to normal birds, and he just seems like a psychopath. He's he's got a lot of learning to do, but he really loves his son. He does. You know, when he wants to find out who hit him in the head, and he's like, "Let me avenge you!" Like, yeah, oh, dude, right. I hope one day to be able to say that in some way. Um, <laughs> No, that sounds like you're wishing trauma on your loved ones. Yeah, but like your so, own yeah, self I would, I would do it just like someone pushed me on the playground. Tell me who it is. I'm going to avenge you. Like it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have to like require vengeance. I just want to be able to say that I'm going to avenge them. It looks but yeah, like- I'm excited to watch the dub. I'm excited to go out on Boxing Day and see this film when it finally comes out in cinemas properly here. So it's going to be great. It looks as though I think Christian Bale is his dad. Yes, I think yeah. so. Oh my god, that's incredible! I can't wait to hear. And him Gemma Chan is his stepmom. Yeah, I can't wait to hear Christian Bale screaming about murdering birds. 
<laughs> Mark Hamill's granduncle. That's a good one. I don't know who this Luca Padovan is, but I'm sure he'll be great. And then, yeah, the Robert name is Pattinson. really familiar. Gray Heron. Anyway, I'm super excited for this. I am looking forward. Oh, Dan Stevens is in this as just some parakeets. What the fuck? And I, <laughs> I think Tony Revolori, right, is also one of the parakeets. Like, there's a few random yeah, names Tony in Revolori, there where they're just like Dan Stevens. They just parakeet. wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Film. All right. Well, so that is cool, cool. it for us for today. It's been an absolute delight talking with you, Steph. Thank you for having me. It's been of fun course. to attempt to unpick this film. I just like it's uh, there. There's just like a level that you come into this where you just have to accept that you're not going to be able to be like, oh, yes, the grand unified theory of the boy and the heron. <laughs> and so just being able to chat about it with some intelligent people is quite wonderful enough for me. Um, Robin Barr, what are we talking about the next time? I think we're doing poor things. Yay. Excited to talk about that. Let's see if I love this Yorgos Lanthimos or fucking hate it, which appears to be the only speed that I can rock with this guy. Oh, who wants to bet that you really fucking hate it? Because that's what I sort of think what's going to happen. But we'll see. What, is it? What's? Uh, I don't know. Because it's been it's been literally on and off for me for him. Because it was the first one was the first one I saw was uh, the lobster, which I loved, and then killing a sacred deer, which I hated. With the passion of a thousand suns, and then I really loved uh, the, the the favorite, and I love Dogtooth. So, all right, well, we'll see what happens. We'll well, who knows? You'll have to unwrap that box later. Yeah. All right. So that's what's coming up next. Um, don't forget to go to movie.com slash the film stage or just film stage in order to get your free thirty day trial, so you can check out all the awesome stuff that we talked about previously. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. Um, let's tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and the next time that we scream our opinions at them. Uh, Steph Watts, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter slash X, uh, at underscore Steph Watts. Um, you can find all my embroidery stuff on Instagram. I'm there at Tiger Moth Embroidery. Um, can I plug our Ghibli podcast? Oh, yeah. That no. Yeah, of course. Why That's here, why you're amazing. here. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear some more, <laughs> if you want to hear some more uh, Boy in the Heron thoughts and other Ghibli, um, the Ghibliotech podcast is on, we're on Twitter at Ghibliotech. We're on Instagram at Ghibliotech.pod. Um, I think, Someone already had I think Ghibli that's all of it. There? Yeah, I think they might have. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to boot them out. Um, but yes, yeah, so we have some Boy in the Heron spoiler-free episode on at the moment, and then there'll be a, a spoiler-heavy one next week as well. So, nice. yeah. All right. All right. One of my dogs is freaking out. Robin Barr, what about <laughs> yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R, also on Letterboxd. I, I review or I rate films out of four stars. I don't believe in the fifth star. So just keep that in mind. I'm not mean. I'm a little mean. Um, <laughs> and once again, yeah. isn't it? It's your it's your husband who's like, oh, I I rate out of four stars too, but I will never give a full four star. Yeah. So he also wanted me to issue a correction. Okay. Um, that he he believes. Okay, the fourth star is like 
the platonic ideal that can never be achieved. Right. So it's like the fourth star is the perfect circle. No one's ever going to draw a perfect circle. Uh So he's still rating out of four stars. The highest that he thinks a film can be achieved is three and a half. That's just so... Okay. You know what? That doesn't help. That doesn't make it better. Just rate out of five. Because no one can create a perfect film. Oh, my God. Anyway... So even if you're the Godfather, three and a half stars. It's fucking incredible. Um, it's the most bananas shit I've ever heard. As for me, uh, you can find out more about my distillery where we're doing rug tufting and stuff later uh, at schmidtspirits.com or inkwellwhiskey.com. And of course, you can find uh, all my stuff at my personal site, brianjrowan.com. I'm on all the social medias at brianjrowan. And uh, you can go to thefilmstage.com to find my writing. Uh, check out all the great end of year lists that we've put out. We just released uh, the 50 best films you might have missed this year. So that's super cool. And uh, you can also find every episode of this year podcast there. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time.